Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 282nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. Folks, they did it. They did it. Unbelievable, unexpected win by the Seahawks. I mean, the final event... Not that shocking. A Seahawks close win, hard fought. That wasn't that hard to predict. The way the game script of this game was bizarre. It was bizarre. And we will break it all down. But I'm just, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked how that played out. I did not expect the Seahawks defense to struggle in that game. I did not expect the Browns offense to look not only competent, but actually good. Well played, like well run, good play calls, well executed. They played a really good game. I did not expect that once the Seahawks fell behind after making mistake after mistake after mistake, that the Seahawks would then actually have the offense not just come down and tie the game, but get the go-ahead touchdown against the best defense in football after going scoreless since the first quarter. The Seahawks had 17 points after one quarter. They had 17 points all the way up until... How much time was left? Let's see. I got to go all the way back, back to this. There was just over 38 seconds to go. The 35 seconds to go. So they went almost three quarters without a score. And then they did it. Not only that, but if you hate Geno Smith, you know what? Everyone knows where I stand on this topic. If you're just like, Gino's the wrong guy, can't stand it, he makes terrible decisions, he's he's not a winning quarterback, he'll never be the guy. Boy, you had some ammunition from this game, right? Gino, even on that last drive, that throw when he rolled out on, I think it was first down and goal, and he forces it to DK, was arguably his worst play of the game. And I would say maybe by a long shot. That was an awful absolutely unacceptable decision that he made that very nearly cost the game. So I get it. <laughs> you know, you got plenty of ammunition from this game. We will talk about each of those decisions as we go. Also, Gino did all those bad things and he put up, he put up a lot against the number one pass defense in the NFL. Folks, you can talk about what you want with, with Gino and, and be negative, but the fact of the matter is the Browns hadn't had only given up 250 yards of total offense to three teams. That's of total offense to three teams all year. Gino 
on his own passed for 254 yards today. So he did it. He found a way to do it. And I think uh, that's also something that people have criticized him for. So a, a common criticism of Gino is, you know, he can't do it when it matters, which is, a, I think, a valid criticism and, and almost was another valid criticism today. But there you go. You get a touchdown. And as I welcome Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter into the show, I, I'm going to foreshadow what is probably going to be my lead in for my morning after column tomorrow. But you cannot have a more appropriate throwback Seahawks way to win this game than a screen pass. I mean, somewhere, you know, the ghost of John L. Williams, I don't think he's actually dead, but John L. Williams is smiling somewhere. Dave Craig was smiling because the Seahawks, who couldn't run a screenplay to save their lives, had multiple screenplays today that were big plays, including the game winner. They get two touchdowns from their rookie receivers for the second straight week. They go three for five in the red zone. There was... <laughs> This was such a bizarre game, Jeff. You had the Seahawks actually running the ball well, but a Pete Carroll choosing to not run it. You had mind-numbing turnovers on offense, but then you had amazing plays. You had a defense that could not stop a terrible offense, but then makes you know a number of big plays. You had refs who just absolutely were trying to gift this game to the Browns. Jeff Simmons, welcome to the show. It is great to see you, brother. How are you feeling after this one? Um, I just felt like I got run over by a truck for three hours. And <laughs> yeah. but the end result was pretty rewarding. But it took me a while in that game to just get over that fourth down call on Tariq Wool. And it was so oh. – I don't know if you saw replays at the game of how bad that call was. And there's the, the – that turned into seven points, and it just felt like at the beginning of the game they were going to blow 14 nothing so fast. They looked so good. It looked like they were going to finally just blow them out. And then the next – they definitely honored the Seahawks in the 90s with their offense for the second half. That was – they were hard to watch. And we're seeing some troubling patterns from Gino in the second half of games. Uh, turn that, that The drive before the winning drive where he has DK Metcalf on the in-breaking route and the ball just like – I don't know what happened on that thrower just hits the ground. Like that was such a devastating play because they were moving the ball so nicely. And there was a lot of good things in that game, a lot of frustrating things, but I think we got to acknowledge the Browns did a really good job with their game plan, with their coaching they staff. There's their way of attacking the Seahawks with the screens, with the misdirection. I thought their designs. And if you listen to any defensive players talk, they all talked about just how good their screen game was. And I'm not coming away thinking like I, I was getting a lot of texts, like how the hell, Hell is PJ Walker making it look easy. I think that's just oversimplifying it. Uh, there was just a lot of easy stuff designed for them, and they were doing a really, really good job in the run game. And that's sort of resembled not last year bad, but there were times where they, we just felt hopeless in the second half where they're just running the ball so easily. So it was just a really frustrating game, but <laughs> they pulled it out. Gino did it. The, the drive at the end of the game, I loved how they used their players. I thought it was perfect the, the short the easy stuff and there's some good i think they're we got to give them out that they they did a really really good job against that defensive line they had one sack on the seahawks miles garrett was basically quiet other than that one play and jason peters looked pretty good and yeah i didn't i wasn't able to focus on him tell me like i assume you're watching obviously on tv what were you seeing from jason peters he played Right tackle, he and 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 uh, Stone Forsyth kind of rotated, but it seemed like Peters got the bulk of the snaps there at right tackle. Yeah, he just looked really steady, and they weren't like dominating him on the right side. They, when they were they were driving up to the field, like in some of the second half drives, like he was in the game. He looked. It's just nice to have a steady like when we. Curran was like the worst rated right tackle in the league. And to have Forsyth looked fine. He didn't look great. He didn't look horrible, but he was fine. And the fact that that defensive line didn't take over the game and really had one sack, a lot of the other errors were things that I thought their secondary was a lot more impressive than their front today. And 
that was not the way I expected this game to go. It was it was wild. I mean, Miles Garrett last week against Indy as a defensive ta- defensive lineman had nine tackles, which is crazy amount for a defensive uh, lineman. Two sacks, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, a pass defense, a block field goal. He ends up in this game with one sack, two tackles, you know, and was basically for the most part a non-factor. Um, which I didn't have that on my bingo card, Jeff. I I mean, I would, we had a question in and from a patron this week about, Hey, like, is there any chance that they can uh, repeat the Aiden Hutchinson thing where they find a way to, to shut out miles Garrett. And we were honestly being a little patronizing to that patron question. You're like, uh, no, he's going to have plenty of sacks. And he almost got shut out. It came late in the game that he got that sack. So, I think you're right to call out the offensive line. I think the game plan for the coaches on for the Seahawks offense in that regard seemed to work. But I think you're right about the Cleveland Browns offensive game plan. It was good. I don't think the Seahawks played an awful game on defense. There weren't like these mind, like these blown coverages or like terrible missed tackles. There were players in space catching the Seahawks in a bad spot who had to break one tackle and get big plays. Like that was, that was the, where they were getting their yards. And then there were a few PJ Walker. I think he had a couple passes that were like, Oh, that's a pretty good pass for PJ Walker. They along the sideline, you know, uh, put it between a couple guys in a zone where Witherspoon's trying to jump at it. And then they basically, they kept running a trap play on, on the ground and they weren't getting a lot of yards, but they're getting four to six yards. And they just, they ran the ball 40 times in this game and they just kind of controlled it. So it was it was a Pete Carroll like game plan from the Browns. Solid defense, run game. That's what they had today. Um what do you make of what do you make of Geno Smith in this game, Jeff? It's a tough one because the second I found myself so frustrated with the second half and he does come through in the, in the, in the last drive of the game, he looked calm. He looked under control, but there's just, it feels like he's pressing. It feels like he's trying to do too much. Even the last drive of the game, the first down throw when they're inside the red zone that he throws to DK in the end zone. Like that's a play that could get intercepted. Like awful. All, you can't, there's just too many plays right now. And I have a buddy, and like I'm getting texts all the time. Like they got a bench. There were times in my head I'm thinking, like they gotta start thinking about Drew Locke. And it's just big picture wise, we're gonna learn a lot. We're gonna have. We, there's three weeks in a row now. We've seen the same patterns and trends where it's he starts really well in the first half. They're moving the ball well in the 20s. They were scoring in the red zone today, but then the second half comes, and they just go empty. It was why they lost the Bengals game. It was why last week was such a struggle. And today, again, it's just another concern is just him and DK are just seem off the way they're they're not really. I think there was 14 targets, five catches. Yep. And just the way they're trying to connect doesn't see it seems disjointed. And there was a lot of like throws up the sideline where he's got to beat the guy. There's one in the end zone where the, the guy had really, really good coverage on DK. And there's just not a lot of natural routes that he was so good at with DK last year. And I don't know if they're forcing it. I don't know if they're trying to do something, but they're not they're not connecting right now. And Nathan, we talked when Nathan talk, said it so well. But like the way they're using Lockett today was like exactly what he should be doing. Like he was on the same page. They were using his to his skill set. Him and TK, the whole thing seems forced. And I think it's impacting the entire offense. And it's why last week it did look a little smoother at times. Thanks to uh, Droidian for the super chat. If you haven't already, give the show a like. Uh, click subscribe as well and go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up now and get access to the Slack channel. There's going to be a lot of chatter for your first place Seahawks. So now's the time. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the DK thing for a second. Um, he does have five catches and 14 targets this game. Last game he played was against the Bengals. Four catches in nine targets in that game. He had been relatively good before that. Three catches and four targets, six catches and eight targets, six catches and six targets, three catches and five targets. 
But these last couple of games, something's gone haywire. His targets have gone up 9 and 14, and his catch rate has gone way down. So, and if you look at the other receivers in this game, take DK out, out of it. Tyler Lockett, eight catches and nine targets. Jackson Smith and Jigba, three catches and four targets. Noah Fant, two and three. Jake Bobo, two and two. Zach Charbonnet, two and two. Gino had a like player of the week game to everyone but DK Metcalf. And one of the things, Jeff, I don't know, like there are people like, oh, he keeps throwing it behind DK on these slants. I don't think people realize that's the design of the play. They're like the the when the corner is is getting inside leverage and they have a slant, they're intentionally having DK use his body to shield him and be able to catch. They went to it two times later in the game. The first time DK didn't make the catch. It was it was I think it was a poor throw too. And the second time he did. To his credit, he made that catch in the clutch at the end. But that's a design play. The big long play down the sideline in the first half. Gorgeous throw by Geno Smith. I mean, in the bucket, forty yards downfield, just gorgeous. Yeah, there just aren't this many that many examples of DK actually having an easy play to make, being open, and having a, giving Geno an easy throw to make. It's just it's a lot of work right now getting DK Metcalf involved. That's exactly how it felt, and the fourteen targets, and it just felt like they were trying to force him the ball at expense of the rest of the offense, and. That's on Gino. That's on Gino. Gino's got to throw. Can't just try to force feed one guy to try to get him going. You got to look how efficient everyone else was. And the fact that they, there was red zone drives where they wasted two plays just trying to like fit in balls in like one-on-one balls in the corner. And there's a lot of plays where it just feels like they're not letting plays develop. And Gino made that so many good things early where the one where he's getting rushed and he escapes the rush, steps up in the pocket, throws up the sideline. And like, there were so many winning plays and, in the second half, it was just all gone. Look, the Browns' corners did a really good job. Those guys were really good. Mm-hmm. They were really solid. But right now, Geno's whole season is an evaluation. And right now, I don't think he's playing well enough where I would pick up his contract next year. And, again, you're going to see a lot. They play so many good teams in the next stretch of games where we're going to learn everything we need to know about Geno. But he needs to play better. I'm happy he won the game. He, made, he was fantastic on that last drive, just precise, doing what he should be doing in this offense. But he's not elevating the team right now, and the turnovers are just painful. Yeah. Uh, Joel Eklund's uh, Super Chat, longtime listener, first-time Super Chat. We absolutely appreciate that, Joel. I'm glad that you listened. I had, I had my normal fun experiences today, Jeff, where I was uh, I was at early pregame watching morning, morning football with a uh, buddy, and uh, ran into, um, I can't remember, I, I should remember his name. He's from Jersey, but uh, a guy that flew in, knew, watched the show, a uh, fan of the show, got to say hi to him. He wanted to take a picture, so that was fun, and ran into another guy at the game. So always happy when folks run into us and say hello. Um, if you haven't already, patreon.com slash hawkblogger, it is not too late to sign up for Ring of Honor, and you'll get to go to a wonderful steak dinner with myself, Evan, Jeff, and the crew um, right around Thanksgiving. So patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, also happy with any super chat you, you feel like. We always appreciate it. We'll get you on the show with those. And as you know, proceeds go to charity. Over $260,000 donated so far. So I, you know, I understand. I understand the the, the discourse on Gino, and, and I'm not going to be sitting here you know, um, making the same full-throated defense that I have in past. I think he made a number of really bad plays in this game. Should have thrown a pick six, which I think technically was probably on Jackson Smith and Jay. It was Pete's had it was JSN's fault. Yeah, I think. But the point is, Gino wasn't, you know, he made errors. And the only way that I thought the Seahawks could lose this game is if they turn the ball over. And they almost lost it because they turned the ball over. I I honestly, for me, on the blame pie of why this game was almost a loss, a lot of it for me is defense. Like, giving up 20 points to this Browns offense was not something I expected. Uh, They didn't have an answer for them for most of this game. They could not. I mean, how many times did the Browns punt? Didn't feel like a lot. 
they had three punts, you know. At, yeah, I think they, they started have, with three and out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many first downs? Browns had 23 first downs. They controlled the ball for 36 minutes in this game. Um, over five yards of play. So 385 yards of offense. I just did not expect it. Oh, who's this? We know this guy. Josh Cashman. Thank you for the super chat. Who paid you to avoid talking about Russell Wilson beating Patrick Mahomes? Patrick we got a Mahomes Russell had, Wilson. Plan. Patrick Mahomes had the flu, dude. I don't know if you saw it, Gabe. It was barely like a human. Well, Russell Wilson it, had 117 passing yards. I think the defense will beat Patrick. Is Mahomes. that true? I haven't even looked at that game. 14 passing yards. Josh, I don't know if that's really what you wanted for your five bucks, but uh, you know, Russell just got shit on for at least a minute there. So hopefully that that is is what you were meaning for us to talk about. The Denver uh, beat a very sick Patrick Mahomes. I'm glad we can give Russell some credit for that. Let's let's take a quick detour from the Seahawks, or at least the fact that in order for the Seahawks to be in first place. Two things had to happen. One, the Seahawks had to win. What's the other thing that had to happen, Jeff? I watched a lot of this game. So the 49ers played the Bengals and they had to lose their third straight game. And the Bengals kind of punked them. I watched basically that entire game and Joe Burrow was in command and Brock Purdy was moving the ball, but had a cup. Big time turnovers again, and their defense doesn't look the same. They're they're struggling. Joe Burrow and Mixon, they were they were just took over the game in the second half. And I didn't think this team would lose three games this whole season. That's three in a row now. And uh, there's a lot of like we have unrest about our quarterback. There's a lot of unrest going on right now in San Francisco. They got. I mean, I'm looking at these numbers. Joe Burrow goes 28 for 32. Yeah, four in completion, 283 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Brock Purdy throws for 365 yards, but has two picks and a lost fumble. He is their leading rusher on the day. They were chasing with, the whole day. Um, the, the Bengals end up with 400 yards of offense. They ran the ball well. They passed the ball well. Joe Burrow, his uh, calf is clearly fine. 43 yards on the ground for him. Um, but, I mean, the, the 49ers, Jeff, had, says here, 460 yards of offense, but only end up with 17 points. Three turnovers. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, there's um, devastating, devastating decisions. Wow. Wow. So, look, we all, we felt people felt a different kind of way about the Seahawks losing in Cincinnati to the Bengals. The Seahawks defense absolutely owned Joe Burrow and the Bengals um, after the first two drives and ended up giving up essentially four. Well, they gave up 17 total, but it really felt like 14 since the uh, offense had a turnover that resulted in that field goal uh, on a drive that covered zero yards. So you've got the, the 49ers playing the Bengals. They give up 31 points at home to the Bengals. The Seahawks hold the, the Bengals under 220, I think they had 214 yards. They give up 400 yards to the Bengals at home. Now you've got the Seahawks beat the Browns. It was tough, but they beat them. 49ers lose that game to the Browns. They scored 17 points in that game. Seahawks score 24. Um... I don't know, man. Like, I think this all comes down to if you don't have Trent Williams, that 49ers team's a little different. But it, you had 460 yards in this game, so it wasn't like they couldn't move the ball. Trent Williams doesn't play defense. Right. So I have to imagine that the 49ers are going to go and do something stupid in the trade deadline to like, they're going to, they're going to add um, somebody, maybe a couple people to this team. Um, Jamar chase 10 catches and 12 targets for a hundred yards and a touchdown. I don't know, dude. 
Uh, 49ers lose three in a row. The Seahawks have yet to lose two in a row. Wild. Wild. Um, now we've got a little bit of an interesting stretch coming up for yeah. both teams. So this doesn't get that much easier for the 49ers. They, they get a bye week. Yeah. They'll, they'll get Trent Williams back. Then they go into Jacksonville home against Tampa Bay. They come in here for the game. You're going to be at with us. Hell yeah. On Thanksgiving. Then they go to at Philadelphia. Then they play the Seahawks again. So they're in a rough little stretch. Um, and the Seahawks are about to enter their toughest stretch. Um, you know, you got the Ravens, but then you got the commanders at home. That's a game that won't be easy, but it's a game that you should be able to win. You go at the Rams. I think it's a different Rams team than the one they played the first week of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's always tough to win it, but I don't think it's crazy to think the Seahawks could get, go two and one over the next three games. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I I mean, I'm, 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 the Seahawks are certainly in a better position than I think any of us expected them to be, especially after, you know, the loss in week one and the loss against the Bengals. This seems wild, Jeff. Yeah. And just based on how that game felt for three hours, where it was just like, it was painful. That was a painful game. And if Jamal Adams head doesn't hit the ball and start that drive at the 50 yard line, our conversation is probably remarkably different, but they, they pulled it. I'll say the Seahawks Browns game was very similar to the 49ers Browns game, but when they, it was a close game, it was a similar score. And, but the Browns front dominated San Francisco and that didn't happen. It was different. It was very different. And that's where Seattle may be closer to them than we realize, but I do agree with you. I think they're going to look to make some moves because defensively it's just, it, the way they play complements each other when they were so good at the beginning when they were scoring the way they were and then had that devastating defense, they seemed unbeatable. But in the last three weeks, that defense looks mortal. Yeah. And they're not missing anyone on defense. No, they're not missing a single player on defense. And they added Randy Gregory. I don't know, dude. That's, it's it's weird. Shocking because that's been – they've switched coordinators over the years. They went from Sala – the D'Amico Ryans and they got better. And then Steve Wilkes is as experienced as any of those guys ever were. And they've fallen off the cliff the last three weeks. And I don't think there was any scenario where I saw that coming. No. Well, and it, there's definitely chatter on, on 49ers Twitter about firing their defensive coordinator over the bye week. Yeah. That would be a pretty big shift. I don't, it's not easy to change your decor. Like how many, how many Super Bowl bound teams have ever changed their coordinator on either side of the ball? What happened? The first play of this uh, Bears game, this backup quarterback just threw like a 60 yard pass over the Chargers. Well, people in, in Chicago have been talking about him being the uh, Brock Purdy of, uh, of yeah, Chicago. I don't, I don't know if they or not, but I just saw. Uh, I want to thank Lawrence Richardson for his super chat. He asked, why is Eskridge, D. Eskridge still getting snaps? Do off-the-field actions matter to Pete? What's your take on that, Jeff? Um, I I don't know if off-the-field actions <laughs> always matter to Pete. I think the fact that he's still on the team answers that question. I think they had every reason they could have from walking away from him. Um, his career's been very disappointing so far. I think the reason he's getting snaps, if we ignore the off-the-field stuff, is – he is more of a horizontal player on their team than really anyone else is. They have a lot of good vertical options, but like yards after catch tackle breaking, like there's a play where Tyler Lockett has a chance in space on like late in the game. And he's not a yak tackle breaker. That's what Eskridge was supposed to compliment. And they tried one reverse and it lost five yards. And we didn't see much of him after that. And they're playing well on special teams to make his earn his way back. But, with Bobo now, he's the fifth receiver. I don't see many. I don't even see reason to keep him around, but he's not going to be a big factor. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out pretty much as I was thinking. I, I didn't miss Cody Thompson today. <laughs> no, Th those were the three snaps that you know you replaced him with. I I'd rather have D. Eskridge threatening with with a end around than Cody Thompson out there. 
I get the ethics morals question. I think that's totally fair. I think if you want to be consistent there, then you can't have Jaron Reed on the team. You can't have Frank Clark on the team either. So, you know, like if you want to hold that line, I I get it. I think that there's enough. Unfortunately, there's enough of those issues that it's hard to have a full 53 man roster that doesn't have anybody with those issues. So you can't feel a football team if you're you're thinking like that. So, and I mean, let's be honest. Richard Sherman's had off-field issues. Brandon Browner certainly had off-field issues. Earl's had, like, there's a lot of stuff, like, guys that are feeded in in Seattle as as heroes, and a lot of these guys aren't perfect. Um, I I know I'm not perfect either, so I'm not saying I excuse the offense, but I just think it's, it is easier to be objecting to it than it is to actually adhere to a super righteous um uh you know philosophy in the nfl um oh yes let's talk about this a little bit more so there's another super chat from droidian thank you for this super chat what's the score of this game with proper officiating let's go over these calls like i'm curious because i didn't get they didn't show a lot of replays the fourth and three we already talked about to woolen at that point you remember what the score was of the game yes i do it was 17 to 7 and they're about to get the ball at the 40 yard line. First, first goal, first, first down the other way. They come down, they get a chunk play and they score at 17, 14. And that was a huge swing of seven points. If you go down the field and score, the game's probably over. And that brought them right back into the game. And yeah, Seattle's defense got to be better, but that's fourth down. They're off the field. Trick Woolen didn't do anything that resembled a penalty. He actually played the ball perfectly. That, that was an embarrassing call. There were a couple other calls. Um, there was a, 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 an illegal hands to the face. Is that the one on Evan Brown? No, the one with Woolen on the... I think I think it was another one on Woolen, maybe. Yeah, that should have been. They like they threw it to the other side of the field. It had nothing to do with the play. Um, it was oh, no, it was on Devin Witherspoon. At least one that was another there. one where it was second and long and they're going to be able to be third and 18 that's this was huge that the the yeah the the browns were backed up at their own 12 second eight 18 yeah it's an ink it's about to be third and 18 and that was the that was like a barely a a that was embarrassing and if that goes third and 18 i think you you got to like your chances of getting a sack or maybe even a turnover if nothing else you're getting the ball at the midfield there's one other play where I'm just missing. I can't remember. There's an Evan in. Brown hands to the face where they get the first down and like with a throw to lock. Trey Brown. No, there was one on Evan Brown. Oh, on Evan Brown. And they didn't show the replay, which makes me think that nothing was there. But there was one on Trey Brown and there was another one on Woolen that was pretty – it was a hands to the face call as well where he just got his arm out and they threw the ball to the other complete other side of the field. Had nothing to do with the play. It just – and there was one on Trey Brown where it was they were about to come off the field and they called him too. And I don't know how many of those impacted scoring plays, but definitely, like, sure you're going to make bad calls, but some of those calls just really impacted the nature of the game. And there was another big play where the interception they threw at the end of the first half. Miles Garrett is lined up offside. Yes, and that's where Pete went nuts on the sideline. First, I'm like, Gino just threw the ball right to the guy. Like, what are you yelling at? The guy's hand is on Seattle's side of the line of scrimmage. If they go out and kick a field goal there, that game is remarkably different. Yeah. So, I mean, what what answer if you answer the question, what would you think the score would be if let's pick one or two of those penalties that are different? Let's say let's say the fourth and three call, which I think was the most egregious oh, call. Yeah. That plus the the offsides maybe. Yeah, I which think is also pretty clear. Seattle gains ten points, and and the Browns lose seven. Yeah, so I think thirty-four to thirteen. Yeah, it could have had a it could have had a swing like that. It's pretty big. It's pretty uh, big. I, I mean, four to seven at that point where Seattle was rolling. This game is completely different, and they can't. The Browns can't play the style they were able to play the whole day, and they're chasing, and it's a runaway. Yeah, 
Yeah. I haven't had a game where I just was like, the refs are absolutely screwing us in a while. This one, they were like, we were well into the third quarter and the Browns had had one penalty called against them for five yards. And the Seahawks had, had a bunch of not only penalties called, but bad ones, like not well called penalties. It was very, very, very frustrating. Um, you know, it's funny, Jeff. I look at the, the second half of this game. I felt like, man, the Seahawks defense really just wasn't doing their job. And part of it's some of these long drives. Like the Browns go 10 plays, 76 yards in a field goal. Yeah. Nine plays, 30 yards in a field goal. They don't score the rest of the game. 10 plays, 40 yards, punt. Seven plays, 30 yards, pit interception. Four plays, negative nine yards, turnover on downs. So yeah. how much do you give the, like, how do you grade the Seahawks defense in this game? It's tricky. Cause I felt the same thing. It just felt like the Seahawks had no answer for them. But at the end of the day, you look, they allowed, I think six points in the second half. And yeah, it was 17, 14 and a half, I believe, or 17 all. I uh, know 17, 14 and a half. And I still would give them a B minus to see. Actually, I'm going to give them a C. I'm going to give them a C. I don't think they were good enough today. Um, I think they were not getting off the field. There was too many third downs. They they did not have enough three and outs. I'm going to go C. Um, I thought they really missed Uchenna Nuosu today. I think playing Daryl Taylor a lot more in base, you see the difficulty. Frank Clark looked a little lost at times, but it's only been here two days. So that didn't surprise me. But Chenna in a game like that where run fits are so important and disruption i thought they really missed him today um i don't think they were just i don't think they were disruptive enough and there were just too many long drives in the second half where they they did hold them down in the red zone but 10 play drive long drive they had a chance to take regain field position or and they were backed up it felt like the entire second half and don't get me wrong the browns offensive line is probably the best in the league so we got to realize it's a lot different going up against those guys in arizona yeah but this is a defense we were talking about being top five, top 10. They were pushed around a lot of the day and I had very high expectations. So I'm going to go see. How about you? I think that, I think that's, I think that's a reasonable take. Um, I didn't get to see Daryl Taylor in run defense. Uh, he, I didn't see the, the, the plays that stood out negatively to me the way I normally do. He's usually pretty easy to find when Daryl Taylor is getting washed out. So I'm sure those are there. I just didn't see them. I think you got to give Daryl Taylor some credit for, again, he has a knack for getting sacks uh, to seal games. You know, people are like, ah, he doesn't get a game sacks till the end. I get it. But there's actually a lot of value in getting sacks that seal a victory. <laughs> like yeah. that is a good thing to be able to do. And now he's got two and a half sacks in the past two games. That's good. Like that's good. Um, I, I think I'm ultimately swayed by, giving the offense enough chances to win and turning it over, turning them over at the end um, to set up the offense for the game winning score and getting off the field at the end once they took the lead. So I probably give them a B minus. I'm yeah. probably in the, in the B range when you, you force three turnovers Tariq Woolen had a chance for another pick yeah. and he got exactly. two picks yeah. in that game. He was sitting right there. I don't know what the, the TV copy showed Jeff, but I thought Woolen had his bet one of his better games. Um, am I missing that? Did it was there plays that, that he he was rough? Um, I th I thought the two calls they made on him were very ticky tack. And yeah, I thought the first one, the fourth down especially, was the contact within was in five yards. Uh, he makes the play in the ball. He doesn't turn his head. I thought it was perfect coverage. I thought it was, and I think they just. I think he's so physically strong that it looks weird to the refs and they probably think it's illegal contact and they're not used to guys. I think Chase was talking about just how big he is, but yeah, I don't think you could see it on the TV copy because we only really saw when he was like, in, teams weren't throwing at him as much. And like the, the catch that Cooper made on the sideline early in the game, that was not on him. That was on Julian love in the zone. And he, he there wasn't plays like the last couple of weeks where people were targeting him and he's giving up easy completions. That looked a lot more like him from last year. Yeah, I thought I thought this was, from what I could see, I thought this was his best game. 
Um, and I thought he was back to being a, a playmaking uh, corner, which was great to see. Look, um, you know, I, I kind of I'm scanning through this team. This was a game where Devin Witherspoon did not have the impact he's had before. I don't think he had any negative things necessarily. Uh, did not have. They, the they did a good job taking him out of the game. They were not targeting him. They were not running to his side very often. Boye Mafe, eight tackles, uh, another sack, five straight games with a sack. Jeff. Yeah. He had a tackle for loss in this game as well. He had four QB hits. So then he also had a fumble recovery in this one. I got one more thing. We'll let you go here in a second. Talk to me about Zach Charbonnet. Am I crazy to think that they, they need to be like giving this guy the ball more? No, I really like that guy. Um, he, in that second last drive where they were moving the ball down the field, he had this big run. He's good. He's good with the ball in his hands. Almost every time he touches the ball, especially in space, I I think to myself, like this guy needs more touches and he looks just really steady. And just that, that driver, he's moving up and down the field before Gino misses the easy throw to DK and then they take the sack. Charbonnet looked like he was going to go out and win the game. And I love Kenneth Walker. He's such an explosive player. But Charbonnet is just so steady. And he's he looks like the guy we saw at UCLA now. And mm-hmm. like he's the kind of guy you want closing out the game. And I, I really like I, – I, I have the same thought. With that last second last drive, he looked like the best player on their offense. And he looked like a guy – like he sort of looked how Marshawn used to look at the end of the games. And obviously not a Hall of Fame player, but like same kind of style. And I had the same thought. I want to see this guy getting the ball more. And that's the thing. They have so many different guys in their offense. They haven't quite figured out how to include everyone, implement everyone. And now they got Bobo and JSN who've scored both back-to-back weeks. But they got to get this guy involved. I think it's going to make them a lot more complete, more physical, and it's going to make things a little easier on Gino. It is wild to me. You have a guy, he has five carries for 53 yards, averages over 10 and a half yards a carry. And it wasn't just one big run. He had a 21 yard run, but pretty much every run he had was a positive, productive run. Plus, he had two catches for 11 yards. Uh, I, I don't understand how you have a guy that's become this effective on the ground that. Pete Carroll's okay with not having them run the ball. Like I found myself, like especially when Gino then started making bad choices and throwing it in his way and turning it over. I, I I think Pete made a point in post game. I think he said that they were he they were going to where the defense was giving them, and it sounds like I think the the the, the Browns were potentially putting a lot of guys in the box and really daring the Seahawks to throw, and maybe that's the reason. You know, but man, there was a number of times they were standing in a shotgun and I was looking at the box and it was a light box with seven guys and they chose even third and four type of plays, Jeff, where I was like, it's okay to run on third and four now and then. How many times have we seen opponents go against the Seahawks and run a draw play or something on third and five, third and six and get 10 yards? And you're like, God dang it. So like they, they just. They, I, I thought they were too pass reliant. They ended up with 37 pass attempts against only 17 rush attempts. And two of those rush attempts were Geno Smith. So really 15 designed runs. One of those is, is Jake Bobo, which is, I think was a good call. Like a nice, yeah, nice, nice really good play. but only Jeff, they only ran to a running back 13 times. That's not enough. No, I think they were so intimidated by that defensive line. They got away from themselves. And Pete talked about that they were pass protecting better than they thought they were, but he even said he didn't seem very happy with how the game was called in postgame. Okay. Uh, I, I think, yeah, especially the way Gino's playing, and he is pressing. He's not playing well enough, and they need to make things easier on him. And <laughs> a good running game is so important to what these guys do. And kind of the whole basis of the McVay offense, it starts on the run. And this guy looks like a good back, and their their line, a lot of their line is more built to be run blocking than pass blocking. So 
yeah, I think that has to come down to Shane Waldron and they got to use these guys more. They're not good enough to drop back this many times because the offense is just convoluted right now. Uh, a couple last shout outs. Uh, I thought Noah Fant had a nice, nice play in this one, a big play to, to set up that final touchdown. And Jeff, how'd you feel about JSN's day today? Mm-hmm. Two games in a row with a touchdown, including the game winner. Yeah, that was awesome. I was so fired up. Uh, that's the kind of plays they needed to counteract what they have. And shout out to DK for the block on that play too. But we, we see this offense and just they haven't had yards after catch. And Jason is just – he's so smooth with the ball. And they still haven't really t- fully tapped into like his skill set yet. But adding that skill set to what these guys have, what they can do out wide and separate, it just com- – it should complete their passing game, especially with Bobo emerging. But – I don't love throwing those short passes to Smith and Jigba, but down low where there's not much room to work with, those are the kind of plays I thought in the Cincinnati game that they needed to use. And I thought they need to get their guys in space and have them run, not just throw those tight windows in the end zone where they don't have a lot of like contested guys. So I was really fired up. That was as cool as an ending as you could have got from him and from the Seahawks and all the people questioning that pick. That was, that was just I mean, like an exclamation point. Who would have guessed after we were so like hating how they were using JSN and these like short screen passes and he couldn't make anyone miss for the first few weeks that, you know, he looked pretty good there. He, he, he made a good decision on his run after catch and got in the end zone. That was Jeff. I'll tell you, man, I had negative 20% confidence that they were going to take that down and score a touchdown. Even uh, after thought, the, I thought it was going overtime. I was I just had no, I was like, they're going to pick, throw in an interception. Like I just was not confident. And that's just kind of where we are with this offense. And man, thank God they did. They fucking, they won. This seems five and two. They really should be six and one, or you could argue maybe this game the other way, but like that Bengals game, it's hard to say that they shouldn't have won that game. Like we all, I mean, easily. And so here we are, Jeff, uh, Seven games into the season, eight weeks into the season. Seahawks are five and two. 49ers are five and three. Seahawks are in first place all alone in the NFC West, heading into Baltimore. Any last thoughts before we wrap it up tonight? Um, awesome to get a win like that. I don't know if how well you remember. I know you'll remember this, but that game felt a lot like the 2005 season. Remember the Jordan Babineau game against Dallas? Yeah. That's exactly how this game felt where it's like, they should have been winning. It was a struggle. And then they get this interception at the end of the game out of nowhere. And it was just like a weight came off your back. And that was the first time I've really felt this since that game. And that was like the classic Seahawks game where you're like hating yourself for three hours. And then at the end of the day, <laughs> there's that meme of we won. But yeah, at the end of the day, really, Gino's got to be better. The, the, the three weeks in a row now, we're seeing the same patterns of and his level of play is just not good enough. And as you, I felt the same confidence that you were saying, like, I think that says a lot as a fan that you go out and you don't believe your team can get 40 yards or 10 yards to even get in field goal range. So I was just hoping it wasn't coming down to Jason Myers or something. I know you were, but defensively, uh, I thought I got, I didn't think they were good enough today, uh, but I shout out to the Browns. I thought Kevin Stefanski did an awesome job. I think he outcoached the Seahawks and their game plan was really, really smart. And Baltimore didn't look great today against Arizona. That was a struggle for them. So this offense has got to get figured out, though. Um, if we're going to have any chance against these next-level teams, we can't play and go spotty against these second halves. These teams are too good, and we're just going to be – we're not going to be able to stay in the game. Yeah, that's kind of my read on this game, Jeff. I, I think the, I think it's easy to focus on all the things the Seahawks didn't do. I thought the Browns came in here and played an excellent game. Yeah, I think they played in. I think they played at the top of what they're capable of. I think you got the best that PJ Walker could do, as good as it was. You got the be- the offensive line was firing. I think the game plan was good. They ran the ball relatively effectively. The defense was stingy, although not dominant. But you took their best shot, and this was this was a four and two team. Believe it or not, you know they were four and two team, and you just handed them. And they and their one of their wins was against the 49ers. So you just handed this team their third loss. Again, this is a team 
that knocked out CMC, that knocked out Debo Samuel, that knocked out Trent Williams. You know, this is a very physical team. And the Seahawks come out, according to Pete Carroll, without any new injuries. And uh, I think you got to feel good about it, man. So they got to keep building. I think we now start to play, you know, this, this game against Baltimore. I'm actually really excited about it. I think it's a it's a great test against a very, very good team. Maybe, you know, top three, four team in the NFL right now, depending on how you want to look at it. And we're going to find out. We're going to find out. They get to go on the road. We'll see how they do next week. 10 a.m. game uh, should be interesting. Uh, all right, everybody, we're going to leave it there. If you haven't already, please give the show a like, uh, subscribe to the channel, and go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up now. Get instant access to the Slack channel. Come on over and talk with everybody else. Keep the conversation going. And join the Ring of Honor. I mean, come on. Now is the time to do it. It's going to be great. L only a couple spots left on the Ring of Honor and get to come out for a steak dinner right around Thanksgiving with the rest of the crew. It'll be fun. And you support a great cause. Over $260,000 given to charity so far. You can be part of it. You can gift it to somebody. It's all good. Patreon.com slash HawkBlogger. Thank you all. Enjoy your first place Seattle Seahawks. Good night. Hey, folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention, become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tape Morning After articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks. Yeah.